0: Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast. Making Theology Central. Good morning, everyone, and I can announce that the curse has been broken. The curse is over. We should we should celebrate. We, we should do something like this. <sighs> Yes, the curse has finally ended. And if you don't know what curse I'm talking about, well, obviously you have not been paying attention to this podcast, which is very disappointing. And all I can say is shame on you. What have you been doing with your life? You need to get your priorities right. Okay. But if you've been paying attention, you know that we're currently in the middle, not really in the middle. Can I say in the middle? We're on day four. And that's not really in the middle. We are in day four of our sermons 2.0 app sermon challenge for 2024. And, well, day one, day two, and day three, the sermons I randomly picked. If you don't remember, if you don't know how to do the sermon challenge, you'll have to go back and listen. But we're using the Sermons 2.0 app to choose sermons randomly. And my day one, day two, and day three choices all led me to issues surrounding music, even though that really wasn't the point. That's what it turned into. We had to spend, I don't know, how much time correcting and trying to offer a proper understanding of Imagine by John Lennon. And then we had to, I don't know what we did with the second one. We had to correct the fact that someone was supposedly quoting Taylor Swift lyrics that weren't Taylor Swift lyrics, that somehow connected us to snakes, that they misrepresented why she used those snakes that then got connected to our boyfriend, Travis Kelsey, who then got connected to... COVID vaccine. And then that all set us up to submit to the Antichrist. Yeah, that was crazy. All right. So that that was day two. And then day three. OK, that was a little bit more normal. Simon and Garfunkel, if I remember correctly. And so that that one played out a little bit better. I think that's called uh, Seven O'Clock News. And is it Silent Night? Yeah, I believe it's what that's called. So that one what worked a little bit better. So we, we spent all of the time doing that. But here I can announce on day four of the sermons, 2.0 Sermon Challenge. Music at least has not shown up yet. And what I've heard of this, because a lot of times I like to start listening and then hit pause and say, okay, let me at least do a broadcast about it before I listen to the rest, because you know, I don't like to listen to too much of what I play or review because then reactions and it's not as natural, so i I maybe i'm <laughs> it it will be uh now now i'm a little now, now i'm uh, I'm scaring myself now I'm like, okay, there's no the curse has been broken, but maybe I spoke too soon, maybe I spoke too soon, maybe as we start listening to some of this, and we're not going to listen to all of it, maybe but maybe by the time you get to the end of this sermon, there is something mentioned about music that would be. That would, oh man, that would be, that would be horrible. I sit here and announce that the curse is broken only to be deceived and only to be tricked. Okay, let's hope that's not the case. Now I'm worried. Now I'm worried, but I feel, I'm thinking, I'm hoping that the curse has been broken and we can actually talk about scripture and not complete misrepresentations of music. Okay, that would, that would be a, a, a win, but okay. All right. I'm getting ahead of myself. I know what I need to do. I need to give you a proper introduction. Welcome, everyone. It is Thursday, January the 4th, 2024. It is currently 1043 a.m. Central Time. And as I've already mentioned, it is day four of the Sermons 2.0 app Sermon Challenge. How is your challenge going? Is your notebook, has it got a sermon for each day? You got a kind of a summary statement. Have you taken any notes on your messages? Have you learned anything? Have you been challenged? Have you found things interesting? Have you found some spiritual benefit from it other than just being able to say that one was bad and that one was good? Because what we're trying to do is that even, even if we something we don't like about it, we're trying to find all the good. Remember, I use the illustration of using every part of a buffalo. So use every part of a sermon. Okay. Even on the first bad one about John Lennon, imagine. Well, I, I do remember the James 4 passage, right? The James 4 passage. And, you know, realizing that life is a vapor, it's here and it will be gone. Okay. I remember that one. The Taylor Swift one, I'm just going to be honest with you. <laughs> I, I don't really know what I do. What I think we did with James, with the Taylor Swift snakes one, I think is what we took from it is this. First, it's our responsibility to check whatever we hear with facts. Right. So I think we took from that and then we, we reminded ourselves once again that we are not to bear false witness. We're not to do that. We're not we're to put away lying. We're to speak speak the truth. So I think it was a reminder of that, even though that really wasn't the intent of the sermon. It challenged us on that. So I think that was good. And then the 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 one that did Simon and Garfunkel, that was about the name of Jesus in Isaiah chapter nine, you know, uh, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father. Okay. We, we talked a little bit of Prince of Peace. Uh, we talked I mean, that we spent all day yesterday talking about the name of Jesus. So that that was a positive one. And then today, well, today is going to be interesting, All right. When I started listening to this and I kind of realized a couple of things, I'm like, ooh, i like this because even even if i even if i don't take anything positive from the sermon immediately i was intrigued first the text was first chronicles chapter 3. Now, anytime anything is pulled from First Chronicles or certain sections of the Old Testament, I'm always intrigued because when you open your Bible and you start reading, you're like, oh, wow, this has got all of these names. I don't even know if I know how to pronounce them correctly. So that's always a challenge, right? Even if I don't get anything from the sermon, I can go, all right, I'm going to listen to how they say these names. And then I can go back and see, is that the way I learned or is it, did I, did I have them wrong? So I can always spend a little bit of time trying to improve my ability to speak the names in the Bible correctly. I will. I am very aware, painfully aware, of my inability sometimes to do that correctly. I don't blame anyone. It's my own fault. But I was taught to read basically a whole language approach, right? Show me the word. Show me the word. Tell me what the word is. I memorize what the word is, and I move on. Show me another word. I memorize what the word is. Move on. Show me the word. I memorize. I did not learn phonetically how to sound it out. So when I look at a word, if I don't know what it is, I'm kind of like, uh, (laughs) what? I don't know. I need to learn the word. I need to. And guess what? You can memorize a lot of words, but if you don't use them on a regular, consistent basis, the next time you see the word, you're like, uh, what is that? So I try to get better at trying to do it phonetically. Now, I don't criticize the way I was taught to read because my mother had me reading at a high level even before I entered I entered kindergarten. But it was just like I just looked at words. Okay, that's what that word is. That's what that word is. That's what and I moved on and I, I, I was reading crazy. But if I came to a word I didn't know. I would just be like, uh, okay, can I look that up? Do I have a dictionary somewhere? Okay, what does that mean? Try to get the basic meaning of it. Sometimes I wouldn't even know exactly how to say it. So good and bad from that, right? Good and bad. So I was, I was fascinated. I'm like, first Chronicles chapter three, and I'm like, oh, that's gonna, that's gonna provide me some challenge, right? So I know I'm gonna get something from that. The second thing that fascinated my, by me, uh, uh fascinated me about this sermon, was from a series called The Enemy Within. And I'm like, wow, The Enemy Within. I could do a lot with that. So I wonder wonder who the enemy is within. And so then I was thinking, oh, it's going to talk about our own sinful nature and our own weaknesses and our own struggles and that the enemy that we have to fight is the enemy that is within ourselves. And it's going to be like four or five messages on that. I'm like, that sounds interesting. So I was immediately intrigued. But then I was even... So the first thing that intrigued me, was first Chronicles... And when I looked at the, the passage, I saw all of these names and I'm like, okay, that's going to be a challenge for me. The second thing I got was the enemy from within. I'm like, oh, that we could spend, I, I'm, I'm ready to talk about that because I know who the enemy is and the enemy is me. Okay. That sounds good. But then the third thing that fascinated me was the name of the ty- the name of the sermon was Adonijah. And I'm like, wait a minute. The enemy within Adonijah. And I'm like, wait, Adonijah, that's, I wonder, I wonder how, where they're going with this. And then as I started listening to the sermon, he started talking about the series and he started mentioning the enemy within. He mentioned Absalom, Adonijah. I can't remember who else he mentioned. There was a couple of other names. I don't remember them all, but I'm like, wait a minute. He's, ta- he's not talking about the enemy within ourselves. He's talking about like the enemy within the camp right? But that still would make me then look for the enemy external to myself. But maybe when we're looking for the enemy in the camp, we're actually should be looking in a mirror because maybe we are the enemy in the camp. So I'm like, okay, that's kind of an interesting approach to call it the enemy within, but to look at these other individuals. But I'm like, okay, that. I'm, I'm, I'm ready, I'm ready to listen to that. So those were the things that fascinated uh, me about this almost from the start. First, first Chronicles, I looked at it and like, Oh, I don't even know if I can get these names right. Second, the enemy within, I'm thinking it's me. We're going to talk about us. And then the, the title is Adonijah. And I'm like, okay, I know a little bit about Adonijah. I don't know a lot. So that's interesting. But mainly I was like, well, wait a minute. How is he the enemy within? And then I'm like, oh, this is going to go a different direction. So that's what immediately fascinated me by this. Now let me give you the information so that you can, if you want to, if you, if you're participating in the sermons 2.0 challenge, if you're participating here, here's where you can look. Let me pull it up. I can give you the information and we'll start. Well, and again, what we're doing, and I'm still trying to find out the best way to navigate how to do this. this see, this was a challenge, which kind of has now turned into a series. <laughs> it really never was intended to be a series as much as a challenge, but because I'm participating in the same challenge, well, then obviously I tend to talk about what I'm doing and what we're doing together, right? So... Remember, download the Sermons 2.0 app, right? You can do so with the Google Play Store or the Apple App Store. Once you download the Sermons 2.0 app, then each day, you're just choosing a sermon as randomly as possible. I, I still say go to the Discover tab, pull down, and then look for a uh, new sermons and just choose. Rand- you don't want to be looking for anything. You want to be hearing different perspectives. You want to be challenged. Then you write the name of the sermon down, the date, the scripture reference, the name of the church. And then when you're done listening to the sermon, you write down like a one-sentence, two-sentence summary. And then if you take notes, you put the notes in the notebook and put a page number and put that next to the sermon that you have listed. The goal is by the end of 2024, you have a sermon for every day of the year. That is the goal. I don't know if we will accomplish that. We're also really, really trying to get this point across that as, and, and this is the illustration I used, as Native American tribes reverenced and respected the buffalo and used every single part, we should reverence and respect the preaching of God's word. And in a sermon, we use every single part of it and not take any of it for granted. So the sermon that I randomly chose today is called Adonijah. It's from a series called The Enemy Within, and the broadcaster is Calvary Baptist Church. Calvary Baptist Church. Now, what I would challenge you to do is please go download it. Whenever I'm mentioning one and whenever I talk about what I'm doing today, I want you to go download it. Now, even if you don't get to it, maybe you'll get to it at another point. They get the download numbers, which is will be encouraging for them because currently this message only has six listens and six streams. We can get that up to them. Hopefully, I mean, we should be able to get that up close to 100 if everyone, if, if all the people who listen to this podcast would go download it, we could clearly get it over 100 within 30 minutes. I mean, it would be no problem. I mean, you would hope, but a lot of times my numbers don't always reflect action, right? You can have large numbers, but no one does anything you ask them to do, okay? But hopefully you will. So again, it's Adonijah, The Enemy Within is the name of the series, the broadcaster is Calvary Baptist Church john johnny clardy i guess is how you would say his name johnny clardy and again go listen stream it download it Uh, we are going to review part of it just to see what we can get from it and uh well then i want you to go listen to the rest of it the first two or three minutes of it is kind of like he's just kind of I don't, I don't know how to describe it. He's kind of just standing behind the pulpit going, Hey, Hey, so-and-so good. I'm glad that you're back. And Oh, I heard that you were sick and kind of just having this kind of a conversational joking. Oh, is there a prayer request? God, it's just kind of, I don't know what you call it, but he's just kind of standing at the pulpit. So, the first 2 or 3 minutes, I'm I've got skipped here and then I'm right at the part where he's about to transition into the sermon. I did not verify the volume on this to make sure it's loud enough, so hopefully it is, that would be horrible if it isn't. But we're going to jump in. Now it's 1 Chronicles chapter 3. 1 Chronicles chapter 3. Now if you have your Bible and you open it to 1 Chronicles chapter 3, you're going to see some names here, right? You're going to see some names. Now, depending on your Bible, you may have a Bible that breaks it down phonetically. Most Bibles do not. I would highly recommend purchasing a Bible that does break them down phonetically out of all the Bibles I currently have around me, which is one, two, three, four, five. I think I have six, maybe seven Bibles around me, maybe even eight, not only out of all of those eight, I had to keep looking, and then I finally found one. And it—it's it, yeah, kind of an older one. It's uh, published by Hallman, and they—it breaks the names down phonetically, which I think is important. Look, I know. Put it this way: it bothers me. I, I don't know how it impacts you. I don't know how it impacts you, but it bothers me significantly. Maybe not you, but when I'm done with a broadcast, I know when I messed up something. I know when I, I didn't say that correctly. I didn't say that correctly. I, me- I, I did not say that right. And, and and usually before I can even get an email, I'm already more bothered by it than anyone else. And in some cases, I'll be so bothered by it, I'll go and actually delete the episode, uh, which I, I try not to do because then I think that's a pride thing, right? If I If I do 45 minutes of teaching— but I'm messing up a Greek word or a Hebrew word or a name, right? Does that completely destroy the 45 minutes of teaching? Now, in some listeners' mind, it does. They're like, you, got, you messed that up. I don't care about anything else you have to say. In my mind, I'm thinking, I still think the 45 minutes of teaching was good. I need to get better at, at saying it correctly. But, but then it becomes a pride issue, right? Because I want to look smart, I wanna look like I'm sophisticated and I'm educated and, and that and that my ability to say these names match the education which I, I possess. And so then it becomes an air a pride thing. So some cases I don't delete it out of just the the the, the, the humiliation, <laughs> the embarrassment, because well that's a good way to keep yourself humble, right? So if you'll look at first chronicles chapter three, you're gonna see a lot of names here, right? I'll just I'll just go through this. First Chronicles chapter three. Now some of these I grabbed a piece of paper before I could find the Bible that broke it down phonetically. I tried to break them down my uh, my own way phonetically. I'm not going to say all of these correctly, but here we go. First Chronicles chapter three. Now these were the sons of David which were born unto him in Hebron. The first Amnon of Ahenom the Jezreelites. Now it depends on how you say that. Some say Itis. Some I think add a kind of a little different way, but I think if you pr- break it down phonetically, Jezreel Itis, the second, Daniel of Abigail, the Carmel Itis, the third Absalom, the son of Maaca, the daughter of Talma, king of Gesher, the fourth Adonijah, the son of Haggath, and then the fifth really is 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 one to work on, Shepatiah of Ab- Abiat- Abiatal, the sixth. Ithrium, uh, by Igla, his wife. All right. So this describes the sons of David. Now, this sermon from first Chronicles chapter three. And that's, that's another thing I've learned. If you can do that. Now, here's what I, here's the mistake I always make is I will, if you'll just kind of commit to one way of saying it, you just commit to it and you say it authoritatively, right? Even if you don't get it right. Most people are just going to kind of just not consider it. But what I will do is I'll say it and I'll go, well, it could be this way. Well, maybe it's this way. And then I'll just I'll end up repeating it or talking about it like throughout the podcast because it it, it plays with my mind. But if you'll just kind of commit to some ways of saying it and just say that's you said it and you just move on. Most people won't pay a lot of attention. But those are names I would really challenge you to just look, work on today. Do you know do you know anything about these names? And just work on them. But he, for this sermon, he is focusing on one. And that is the, hang on. So the third, uh, the third is Absalom, the son of Ma- Ma'aka, the daughter of Talmah, king of Geshur. The fourth, so the fourth son of David, Adonijah, is the one that he is going to focus on in this sermon. And he is referencing Adonijah as an enemy from within, now, again, when I think of the enemy within, I'm thinking of myself, but let's see where he goes with this. Are you ready? This should be somewhat interesting. Again, the name of the sermon, please go download it. In fact, I'm looking at my screen right now. None of you have downloaded it. I see. I can I, I, keep track of what you're doing. Look up Adonijah, Calvary Baptist Church on the Sermons 2.0 app. Download it. Have it right there in your library and in whatever you're doing today. Go listen to it, okay? You can pick up where we leave off. All right, are you ready? Here we go. Let's hope that this is beneficial
1: and uh, be a sure, sure be a blessing. All right, we're going to get into uh, number five tonight of the enemy within. Uh, number five, uh, we've we've been through um, Absalom, we've been through uh, Shimei, we've been through. Um, uh, at a not at a night. We're going through Adonijah tonight. We're, we got. Uh, <laughs> we got uh, 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 Adonijah tonight. That's. I feel bad for him. When you're a number, when you're on
0: number five in your series, and you get ready to repeat the ones you've done, and you yourself don't remember, and no one in the congregation seems to remember. That's a bad, bad, bad sign. Now, I am not to pick on, I'm not picking on anyone here, but let me remind you, all right? 2023, let me just remind you, I did a number of podcasts where I greatly challenged the, the benefit of sermons, right? I greatly challenged it. I'm like, if you take, I, we did kind of a cost cost benefit analysis right if you look at the how much each sermon cost remember we did in it we read an entire article about this right if you look at the average salary a pastor gets then basically each sermon costs the congregation a certain amount of money because you take that salary of the pastor, how much of that goes to preaching? Well, you take how much time they preach, you break it all down, and each sermon can be five, nine hundred dollars, depending on what you know the the, the the salary of a pastor. So so those sermons reflect money that those people are paying. If the pa- people are paying to have a pastor, then they're in a sense paying for those sermons right? And so I've talked about, if you look at the cost of the building, the staff, the upkeep, the electricity, everything that keeps the entire church functioning and operating, that's a lot of money and a lot of investment. Well, most of that is to come to church to hear a sermon preached, to hear the proclamation of God's word. But if people can't remember it the next Sunday, can't even remember what was covered in a series, then of what value was the preaching? And so I, I gave a very kind of negative perspective on it. Maybe one that's very cynical and one that's very jaded. And I didn't have a lot of pushback. One individual said that he felt Sermons are very valuable, and he has learned plenty from them and was much more positive about it, which then challenged me to go, okay, well, then let's go into 2024. Let's do a sermon challenge. And that's where where I kind of found myself with the buffalo illustration. As Native Americans used every single part of a buffalo, we should then respect and reverence the preaching of God's word to such an extent that we take and get something from every single part, from the introduction, from the... The body of it, from the supporting evidence of it, from application, from conclusion, for summary. We, we should try to gra- get something from it and grab onto it in a way that we can remember it. That's why I'm telling you to write the sermons down and, and then writing a summary of what you got from it so that six months from now you can look back and go, Oh, in January, I heard this sermon and this sermon and you can read that little summary. So, and hopefully you will remember, you will remember something. You will take something from it. Too many times, there's too many of these studies where people who hear a sermon on a Sunday morning can't even remember it's Sunday night. Now, sometimes I'm confronted with this same thing as a preacher. I'll be, I'll be, you know, we'll be covering something and I'll be like, okay. well, if you were listening to our series on law and gospel, the same thing kind of happened. We'd been working on this, on the law and gospel series for, I don't even know, six months. We'd done like a hundred hours of teaching and then we get to something and I start asking some questions and like nobody could remember and I'm like, what in the world have I been doing? A hundred hours and nobody can remember anything? Like, what am I doing? So I feel bad for him that he can't remember. <laughs> hey, this is number five and we've covered Absalom and we've covered, I think he mentioned one other name. And then he's like, Adonijah. Uh, I mean, that's what that we're covering Adonijah. Well, we've covered, and clearly he can't remember the other ones. He can't remember the other ones. That's bad. That's bad. Now I don't blame him and I'm not, I'm not seeing that that that's something negative about him. We all can do that. We, because we, we there's so much preaching and so much teaching. We just hear it and we kind of take it for granted. We just hear it and we kind of take it for granted. It's easy for a sermon to go in one ear and even before you get to your car, it's already fallen out of the other ear. We've got to take it captive and try to get the most out of it. But look, I can do the same thing. I mean, I can stand in the pulpit and go, okay, we've been covering... I well, I. We've been covering something. Now, I, I typically, hopefully, I don't do that, but I, I think it's it's probably it's probably even happened to me. So I, I feel bad for him because he's trying to he's like, hey, this is number five, and we've covered Absalom, and I can't remember the other one he named it, and Adonijah. I mean, well, I mean, Adon, Adon- I don't. Let's see if he remembers the rest,
1: or Adonijah, however you want to pronounce that. But then we we went through uh, a hit to fail. He was, uh, he was uh, the grandfather to Bathsheba. Okay, now
0: he remembered another one, so that's good. A hit to fell. So he's, he's remembering another one. So good. Now it's starting to come back. It's good. You would hope everyone, see what you would want as a preacher is everyone in the congregation would be like, oh, we covered a fell. We covered, you know, Absalom. We covered, you know, like they, they would know them. That's what you dream of. But the reality is everyone can forget, including the preacher themselves, which then raises the question, what can we do to get more out of a sermon? Right. Let's see. Uh, so that's a hit to tell. Let's see. Absalom, Adonijah. He says this is number five. So there's, there's got to be, I think he's still missing one.
1: And uh, so tonight we're going to deal with Adonijah or Adonijah, however you want to pronounce it. But in First Chronicles, chapter three is where. We're... Now, he does
0: that a number of times. He says Adonijah or Adoniah, Adonijah and Adoniah, however you want to pronounce that. He keeps going back and forth. And I was a little perplexed by this because I was like, isn't it always Adonijah? Like, why would we drop the J or make the J silent and be Adonijah? Now, he's going to offer an explanation for why he says you could pronounce it, I guess, either way. Adonijah or Adonijah. I'm a little perplexed by the explanation. So I've I've tried to verify it. A couple of things, so it, it has something to do with Greek and he or Hebrew in this particular case. Obviously not Greek, and that uh, the w- well, I'm going to let him explain it in a minute, and we'll see. We'll see because I had to I had to go verify, and I think I'm not so sure. I I, I think it should be Adonijah, but once again, it just shows that even in preaching and hearing sermons sometimes when it comes to how to say things. So I think we, I I want you to at least take from that whenever you're reading your Bible, do your best to try to figure out how to say it. You you be the expert, right? Trust me. Even pastors need those experts in the pew. I do. Sometimes I'll be like, oh, so I'll I can read and just kind of stop and go, and then someone will say it, and I'm like, so thank you so much for being here. I greatly appreciate it. I'll give you ten dollars when the sermon is over because I'm going to look at you every single time for you to say it, it's like you can help me out. All right. So now you you don't really ever want to be in that case, but it's just is it had a Nija. Hadaniah I don't, I don't know. Maybe I'm missing something. Let's see how what he says here.
1: We're going to start tonight just to give you a clue of who this guy is. And we've been going over this thing about the enemy within First Chronicles chapter three. Uh, why we deal with the enemy within? Uh, we're just trying to see a picture of how the devil tries to stop us living for the Lord. Amen. And.
0: Okay. Now here is the question that we may take from this sermon. All right. And I want you to write this question down. And here's at least for my sermon challenge today from this sermon, remember, I'm going to take every part of this, right? So uh, trying to take from how to pronounce these things, why is he going from the enemy within? But here is the part I really want you to focus on here over the next few minutes. He's going to mention Satan a number of times. And he talks about how Satan tries to stop us from living for the Lord. So I want you to consider how present is Satan actually in your life? And what can he do and what can he not do in stopping you from living from the Lord? Because the first thing we have to clearly acknowledge is Satan is not omnipresent. He's not omnipresent. So if he's not omnipresent, then rarely is he messing with you because he can't be in all places at the same time, right? So I doubt he's messing with you and messing with someone else. Sometimes I find that interesting. If you'll, if you'll be like on, say, social media and some Christian will be like, ah, Satan's really been after me. And someone else will be like, Satan's really after me. And I'm like, you live in like two different countries and you're saying he. Satan is not omnipresent. So what do you mean by that? And then I really want to know what do you think Satan can actually do to hinder you from living from the Lord? What what is Satan's go-to to and, and is it require Satan's presence? Is it Satan himself or is it something else? Now, he, the series is the enemy within. I think the thing that stops you from living from the Lord is not the external Satan but the internal sin that is inside of you. That's See that I'm just perplexed that a series called the en- enemy within seems to be all focused on external enemies. <laughs> so so I, which is somewhat ironic to me. But okay. So he's going to talk about Satan and I'm going to bring up lots of questions here about this. But I really want you to write that down. What how does Satan himself impact your ability to live for the Lord? What can he do? What can he not do right. let's see what he's going to go with this
1: tries to uh, keep us from serving God, causing problems and and uh, most of you know that the enemy can be within your own family, right <laughs> I mean, they can be real close. (laughs) Uh, And so that's what we're looking at. David, these people that he's been dealing with have been mostly people in his family.
0: All right, so it's interesting. The enemy within, he's like, the enemy can be within your own family. So the enemy, it can be people, and the enemy can be Satan. My emphasis would be, if I'm preaching on the enemy within, I'm going to be talking about us. Me inside of me. That's the problem. I'm the problem. I'm the issue. All right? It's me, to, to quote Taylor Swift because well, wait, we, okay. If you go listen to all the messages here in the Sermon Challenge, you'll see why I'm quoting Taylor Swift. It's me. It's me. I'm the problem. It's me. That, like that's the issue. But he, so the enemy within, now the enemy can be people within your own family and of course then Satan all right. Let's see how he's gonna he's gonna build on this, all right? And what he's gonna do with Adonijah to to get to this this point. All right, so let's 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 see where this goes.
1: And tonight, this is gonna be another one of his sons, and I'll show you that here in 1 Chronicles chapter 3. You got that? Say amen. amen. All right, verse 1. It very clearly tells us, and now these were the sons of David. He says, um, which were born unto him in Hebron, the firstborn, Amnon of uh, Hinnom, uh, the Jezreelitis, and the second, Daniel of Abigail, the Carmelites, the third, Absalom, the son of Micaiah, uh, the daughter of Talmah, king of Geshur, the fourth, Adonijah, the son of Haggith. Uh, so most of the time, whenever you're, you're reading these, the consonants are silent when you're reading in the Greek or Hebrew I'm not trying to tell you Greek or Hebrew but I'm just telling you that most of the time the consonants are silent and uh, so that J there's usually um, silent. so that's the reason why I say you could call it either Adonijah or you could call it Adonijah but
0: okay that's the part that caught me off guard the constants may be silent in Greek or Hebrew, but when they're translated over to English, don't we follow then the English phonetic phonetical rules and not the phonetics of the Greek or Hebrew? that, that caught me off guard a little bit, right? I mean that that I, that I mean I think typically the constants are typically silent in Greek and Hebrew. But when, when when we translate words from Hebrew and Greek into English, there's typically a need to to adapt the pronunciation to fit the English phonetic system. Right? Like, that's my understanding. I could be wrong, but that's my understanding. I'm going to give you examples in the case of names like Jesus or Yeshua. In Hebrew, the pronunciation in English may not match the original pronunciation in the source language. The letter J in English is pronounced as ja. Uh, whereas in Hebrew and Greek, it would have been closer to a ya sound. Similarly, English tends to pronounce the letter S at the end of a word as a Z sound, while in Greek and Hebrew, it was likely a voiceless S sound. These adaptations are necessary because the phonetic systems and pronunciation rules are varied between languages. When translating biblical text or names, it is important to keep in mind that the pronunciation in English may not be an exact reflection of the original pronunciation and the source language. So he's like, because the constants are silent... Then that J would be silent in Hebrew; therefore, it should be silent in English. Maybe that maybe someone could make that argument, but I would go with Adonijah. I wouldn't go with Adoniah. Right? I mean, I, am I? Am I? That, that's just. I thought that was interesting, right? Like I would not have even considered that. Now, maybe I'm missing something. I'm more than willing to learn. That's why you listen to sermons, right? But I, I just, I was like, Adonijah or Adoniah, and he keeps saying whichever way you pronounce it, and now his explanation is, well, because in Hebrew, the J would be silent. Therefore, in English, we should say it it is Adoniah. That I don't know. I don't know what what but by all and we don't want this to become the major part of the sermon but we're trying to take every part of it. So, whatever you think, I'd love to get your expertise on this, your your learned opinion on this if you have some great insight into this. So, I I would love to say what you have to say. But For now, let's continue. So he just, he kind of throws that out there. Adonijah, he tells everyone the reason you could go either way is because the constants in Hebrew are silent. So therefore the J would be silent and therefore you would say Adonijah. Now, he just, he just informed all the people of that. If that, I hope that's 1000% accurate. I hope it's one thousand percent accurate because if it's not, then you could see how that could be problematic. So you see why I started by saying one of the things that fascinated me here was well, he used First Chronicles three, and we have these names, and even his a a Henoam, he pronounced it in a completely different way instead of breaking it down phonetically, oh Hen O oh, M, he he a uh, heno I can't remember how he even said it. So uh, once again, that's that's the struggle, and so. Um, yeah, we we want we want to try to do our best. I I wish I was better at it, but I'm gonna I'm gonna. Whenever I come across a passage like this, I I try to convince myself today you're just gonna spend all day trying to, to get the names right. Now, what frustrates me is I'm like, I've got it down. Yeah, I got it. And then I'll sit in front of a microphone and it'll be like, uh, like I'm speaking in tongues. And I'm like, what just happened? And I don't speak in tongues. Obviously, I don't like charismatic theology. That's a, that's a joke. right? right. I'm like, ah, I don't get it. I wish I could speak in tongues because that was the ability, supernatural ability to speak a known language. Okay. But you you get the point. So, all right, we don't want to get too sidetracked. I still want to know what he's going to do with the Satan concept here. That's the real that's the real thing, I think, maybe that I'm taking from this sermon. That may be the thing I take from the sermon today. Let's see where this goes.
1: Uh, uh, but anyway, the, the the jest is, is this is David's son. And we're going to look at a few things tonight of of who this guy was, what he did, and how that he— is a picture just like joab was a picture of the devil amen and uh this guy here is going to be a lot like that and he's gonna he's gonna have some characteristics about him that that you're going to look and we're going to see tonight and i'll show it to you of of some things that he did that uh that shows us that he also had some of the same characteristics so uh we're going to go now we're going to go to uh first kings and we're going to look there in first kings and then uh uh, once you get over there, we'll go to the Lord in prayer and we'll ask the Lord to help us. But uh first Kings chapter one, we'll start out uh, we'll start out right there. When you get there, we'll we'll go to the Lord in prayer and ask for help. Amen. I always need help from the Lord. Amen. So let's pray. Father, we come to you tonight, uh humbling ourselves, asking you, Lord, that you would help us. Lord, to get some things out of this tonight. Help me to say the right things. Help me to say, Lord, the things that you'd have be said. And uh, Father, be with uh, our folks that are here tonight. Lord, I pray for distractions to be uh, minimal. I pray, God, Lord, that you would be able to move, touch, and be able to speak. I pray that you'd be with the young ones downstairs. I pray that you'd be with uh, uh, the teaching. I pray, God, that you'd be uh, through that, with that, and in that. And God, that. Uh, these ones I have some things that they can carry with them throughout life, and uh, Father, we're just asking for for your help. As always, be with our sick folks. And Father, I think about Miss uh, Miss Kim, of course, Brother Mike. But Lord, we're lifting them up tonight. I'm thinking about Papa and Charlotte. We're lifting them up tonight. Father, we think about Brother Dale, we're asking Lord your blessings on them. And Lord, these other prayer requests: This is Jeff Bowen, and also uh, Jay's brother-in-law, Miss Susan's uh, brother praying for them and God our visitors that came through on Sunday we're praying for the Webb family and asking your Lord to touch them Uh, others God that are dealing with some things going through some sicknesses and God we're thankful Brother Randy and Miss Karen made it back tonight we're thankful that the Heggs all of them came back tonight and Lord they're doing better and Father we just continue to pray for our church and God that you just lift them up and lift our church family up and God that uh... Uh, Lord, that we can be found doing what you'd have for us to do. We want to praise you. We want to honor you. And Lord, we plead your precious blood over this service tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: Now, there, there's a phrase there. Again, we're, I'm trying to show you to take every part of the sermon. Plead the blood of Jesus. Plead the blood of Jesus. All right? I want you to write that phrase down. We may circle back to that at some point. What is the origin of plead the blood of Jesus? What is the origin of that phrase? What does it mean? If I plead the blood of Jesus over the service, what am I asking for? That everything in the service, because when you think of the blood of Jesus, that's what cleanses us from our sins. So if I say I plead the blood of Jesus over this service, am I asking him to forgive all the things I'm about to do wrong or to forgive uh What do I mean by plead? I plead the blood of Jesus over this. What do you talk? What does it mean? Because I, I understand the blood of Jesus is that which cleanses me from sin. So I, that's a, that's a fascinating I don't know exactly what the phrase means. I know it's used in some circles more than others, right? I think a lot. I plead the blood of Jesus over this, and I've heard people pray that, and I'm and I'll I kind of like want to open my eye and kind of look over at. I'm like, what What does that mean? What's going on? So what what? What just happened that we pleaded the blood of Jesus over it? Does it Does it make it? what what happens i don't know what does it do what does it what does it do to plead the blood of jesus i don't know i don't know what that means does anyone know what that means do, can you give me a theological definition of what it means to plead the blood of jesus and where in the scriptures do you find that mandate that imperative that while you're praying to plead the blood of jesus i mean and i'm not saying that in a sarcastic way i'm not saying it in a negative way it just seems like an interesting concept that I don't know. So, so we, 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 I'm going to write that down. We're gonna we're gonna come back to that. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna. I just what I want you to see, and what I'm trying to show you in this series is how one sermon we can turn it into an entire day of broadcasting. Just trying to take one part. So I'm gonna put "Plead Blood of Jesus." We need to explore that. Right? Where did that derive from? Where? What what scripture would you go to? I, I I don't know. He doesn't explain it, but I definitely, when I heard that phrase, I'm like, oh, I've heard that. I used to hear it more in the past. I think I still hear it. I mean, I don't, I try to stay as far away from anything charismatic, but if I have to, for some weird reason, listen to a sermon from the charismatic world, well, sometimes just to keep up with what's going on, I will hear that phrase. I, I still don't know if I've ever been given a deep philological explanation for it. None of the Bible colleges I ever attended, none of the seminaries I ever attended, none of the, none of the Bible institutes I attended because all I've ever done has gone to school. I yet to find I don't think I've ever had a course on how to plead the blood of Jesus, but maybe I missed it. All right, but let's let's continue here.
1: So here we are talking about the enemy. The enemy. Uh you know, uh ever since uh, creation and God created man. Uh, we find there in Genesis 3 that uh, the devil's been against God's people. The devil hates God. <laughs> I don't know if you know that or not, but the devil hates God. And because he hates God so much, he hates you if you're saved tonight. Uh, why? Because you're God's child. And uh, so he, uh, he hates you. And uh, so he is going to try to disrupt things. He's going to cause problems. Amen. Okay, so
0: now here's where we get into this very interesting discussion. I know it's not the overall part of the sermon, but for this, remember when I do these kind of reviews for this series, I'm just trying to grab certain parts of it for us to get something from it. And then the challenge is for you to go listen to the rest. That's really what I'm attempting to do here. All right, so Satan causes problems and disrupts things. Now, here's the question. If Satan sees you as a child of God, hates you, what problems can he cause? What disruptions can he cause? And if he's causing them, is that happening outside of God's will or within God's will? Can he only do that to a child of God, which God allows? Do we not kind of see that in the book of Job? He couldn't do anything he wanted to Job. He needed God's permission to do what he wanted to Job. God had to grant him the permission, right? So if I'm a child of God, does Satan, and if God is the one who grants the permission for Satan to do that, then do I worry about the fact that Satan is causing the disruption and focus so much on Satan or focus on the fact that God is somehow allowing the disruption for some reason, far maybe beyond my comprehension or more than I'll ever know. Job was never given an explanation. So how do you see it? Do you, do you focus on Satan is causing the problem? Satan is causing the disruption. Or do I look at it? God is allowing the problem and disruption. So what am I supposed to take? Like, which, which direction do you go with Satan? I'm going to go after Satan here and I'm going to fight. Or do I go, whoa, God, what are you allowing this to happen? What are you, what do I need to learn from? Which direction do you tend to go? I think different churches focus on the Satan aspect. Others focus on the God aspect. Which one is more spiritually advantageous?
1: And uh, so we find that there's problems for the child of God. And some of the, the, uh, you know, even when you feel like you're not doing anything, I mean, you know, it's kind of like, well, why why is he picking on me, right? And, uh, but here's the deal, okay? You know, you ask somebody how they're doing, and they're like, man, the devil's been all over me this week. Well, most of the time, it's not the devil, okay? The devil probably don't even know who most church people are. And I say that with kindness, amen? Uh, and you say, preacher, what are you talking about? I'm talking about most church people uh, ain't living for the Lord anyway. And so if they're not living for the Lord anyway, the devil doesn't have any problem with them. They, listen to that. All right, so... Satan causes problems, but he's not
0: causing problems for most church members because Satan is not, doesn't care about you because you're not doing anything. If you were truly, so most church members aren't living for the Lord, therefore Satan doesn't bother you. But if you're living for the Lord, then Satan bothers you. So the way you know you're living for the Lord is, I guess somehow, if you have problems and difficulties, then, then that means you're living for the Lord. This is kind of a weird, I don't know exactly how to process this. Satan is out there to cause problems, but if he looks at you and you're "You're not really living for the Lord, he just moves right along and he looks only for the people who are living for the Lord. So therefore, if there's great problems and difficulties, then you know you're living for the Lord and you know Satan is after you. But then is it Satan after you? or Is it God after you? Because God is the one who allowed Satan to do it. So then do I focus on God or do I focus on Satan? Oh, inquiring minds want to know. Let's see where else he takes this. So what What does Satan, what can Satan do to you? Right, let, let's see. I know this is supposed to be about Adonijah, but this is the part where I was really more fascinated by this than anything else. But we'll, we'll see. We'll see where this goes.
1: Devil could care less if you come to church. He don't care if you come to church. He's probably a more faithful church member than most church members. He just don't want you getting involved. He don't want you going to the altar. He don't want you singing the songs. Amen. He don't want you taking a class. He don't want you teaching. He don't want you uh, uh, doing anything with the trying trying to further the gospel. Uh, Listen, he don't want you praying. Amen. How many times you got down to pray or just even prayed, you started getting real sleepy? Okay, now, this
0: gets interesting to me. All right? So, Satan doesn't want you to pray. Think about the times you get ready to pray and you get sleepy. So you are saying Satan has the ability to make a child of God sleepy whenever he wants to. Whenever there's a child of God, I'm going to read my book. And you fall asleep because it's Satan. Satan's like, you go night, night, nighty night, night, night. So can Satan just make us go to sleep at any time? like because I, 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 a preacher's getting ready to preach the word of I get ready to turn on a broadcast and say, "Open up your Bibles too and I fall asleep what like which is it? Does, does, can Satan just make us fall asleep at any like I've never heard of Satan making Christians fall asleep. I've heard the reasons we may fall asleep. We is maybe because we're fleshly. Right? When, when the disciples were supposed to watch with Jesus and pray and they fell asleep, was that Satan's fault or was it just that their flesh is weak? Do we have our own physical limitations because of our own? I, I don't know. Like, I, I've never heard the idea that I fall asleep when I pray because of Satan. What happens if you're watching television and you fall asleep? What happens if you're watching a football game and you fall asleep? Is that Satan or is that God? Does God put you to sleep because he doesn't want you to watch that television? Like, I don't understand. This was fascinating to me because it really raises a deeper question. I know I'm having a little fun with it, but it raises a deeper question of exactly how much can Satan do to you as a believer? How much can he just, how much of your actions are not your actions, but literally Satan is the one, ca- Satan is the one causing you to fall asleep. If Satan literally can cause you to fall asleep, what then can Satan not do to you? If he can control your fatigue, your, your oh, I'm tired and you fall asleep. If he can literally do that, he you think he could literally get me to do any action. Any action then could be like, it wasn't my, it was Satan. It was Satan. Is it Satan's fault or is it my fault? Is it my fault because I didn't stand against Satan? Like, okay, Satan, I'm getting ready to pray. I I I don't know what you do. Satan, I see you. I know you're there. Get out of my house because you're not going to make me fall asleep. I like, I don't know. And why is Satan roaming about seeking whom to make go to sleep? Like, this is kind of an interesting concept and I'm not mocking it. I'm not mocking it. Let me make it very clear. I'm not mocking it. I'm literally taking it serious. I'm literally taking it serious because I don't know exactly how that would work. This, this raises a deep theological question. How much power does Satan have or how much power can Satan? How can we say how much power does Satan have to do specific things to a believer? Like, where is Satan's limitations to a believer? Can he make them sin? Can he make them sleep? Can he make them get distracted? Like, how much like I, I'm sitting here living my life? How much of my life is really being controlled by Satan? Or am I somehow protected? Let, let's see if he if he explains this in any way, shape, or form.
1: Hey Amen. Just Are you are you just getting I mean, even come to the altar and you start to pray and some of the most ungodly thoughts. Amen. Some of the things you did years ago comes flooding back in. Okay,
0: so Satan can make you sleep and then you could go to the altar to pray and then all of a sudden horrible, filthy thoughts come to your mind. If horrible, filthy can Satan place horrible, filthy thoughts in your mind, you have no control over it. You're just sitting there and all of a sudden, boom, horrible, filthy thoughts. Like I'm sitting here broadcasting all of a sudden, whoa, what am I thinking? Is that Satan? So does Satan have the ability to put, to put thoughts in your mind and literally physically make you fall asleep? All right, let, let's see if he
1: explains this. Let's see if he adds to this. And you're like, where's that coming from? Amen. And 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 then you can you can just try to do right. You can try to read your Bible. Amen. You start opening the book and reading your Bible, and then it's like the phone will ring, or this a mess up, or you know something's going on over here, or you just cannot keep your eyes open.
0: So Satan can like, oh oh, he's got a Bible open. Phone ring. Power go out. Like, can Satan control all the things around? And then once again, it's back to the sleep thing. You're reading your Bible, you fall asleep. Is that Satan? Like how much power can Satan influence? What what can he do to to us? What can he do to us? Let's see if they add any more explaining. I know this is supposed to be about Adonijah, but remember the goal here is I'm just trying to take a little bit of the sermon, trying to do something with it, and then I want you to go listen to it yourself. But let's let's see if we can get a little further here.
1: Isn't it strange that when you get into Bible reading, that's the most tired and sleepy times you ever had? (laughs) And preaching, when you hear my preaching, it usually puts people to sleep. I know that, so... But that's just the way it goes. I mean, why? Because, see, number one, you're going against your flesh. Number two, you're going against the devil, right? Now, I do appreciate he,
0: he mentions the flesh here. I do appreciate. But it was in the context of Satan. Now, but then secondly, he does bring Satan into it. So then which part is Satan and which part is my flesh? But even if you, even if you say Satan is second, you're still saying Satan can do these things. Exactly what can Satan do or not do to a believer? Can he literally place thoughts in your mind and literally physically make you tired and literally walk around and like cause disturbances, a phone, because if he's causing the phone to ring, then he had to motivate someone else to call at that specific time. He would be controlling like major it like he would be controlling more than just the phone ringing. He's got to control someone else to make the call at that time.
1: And you're going against all these things, and so uh, we have to deal with those things. The Bible says that our warfare is spiritual, uh, and so when we start to do the physical things in these physical bodies, well, the the, the Holy Spirit wants to help, but the wicked spirits are going to hinder. And that's just the way it is. The Holy Spirit wants to help, but the
0: evil spirits hinder. So the evil spirits are of equal or greater power than the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit wants to, but it gets hindered. So what is, what is limiting the Holy Spirit? Do I, am I limiting the Holy Spirit? Then is he not omniscient or not uh, omnipotent? I mean, omniscient as well, but is he not omnipotent? So when it comes to this idea of Satan and spiritual warfare, it does raise these questions. Exactly what do we mean by like what can Satan? Ha- Look, if you if you're involved in a conflict, we need to know exactly what the enemy its it, the enemy's capabilities are, right? You don't want to be preparing for capabilities in which the enemy doesn't have. That's a waste of strategy and resources, right? You're like, "Hey, if the enemy can't attack the left flank then there's no point in sending everything over there to the you're going to you're going to no well no they can't go that direction they don't have any capability they don't have the the supply line is what I mean I could get all military strategy here but the point is you you, you got to know your enemy's capabilities. So when it comes to Satan, do you know what can he literally do and what can he not do? Because we need to focus on what he can do, not on what he can't do. And if he can do something, why can't he do it? And if it's God, what, the one giving him the ability to do so, then do I focus on Satan or do I focus on the fact that God is the one who allowed it? So therefore, I need to learn what God wants. See, then it gets into a whole much more complicated issue, because if you listen to Job, Job does not accredit those things that happened to him to Satan. He accredits those things happening to God. Job seemed to be focused on God allowing, God being controlling, not Satan.
1: Here's, here's Aniah. Here's, here's what he does. And when you look here in chapter 1 of the book of 1 Kings, you'll find that David is declining. You'll find that- All right,
0: we're going to stop right there. We're going to stop right there. Now, I want you to go listen to all of it. It's Adonijah, the name of the church. The name of the church is Calvary Baptist Church. Oh, someone downloaded it. Someone. One person. One person. Yay. Hopefully it was someone who's listening to me. Someone downloaded it. All right. Uh, but it's uh, Calvary Baptist Church at It's from a series called The Enemy Within. You may want to listen to the entire series because I am fascinated that the it's about the enemy within, but it's, it's these external enemies. But for me, what jumped out at me was those things. First Chronicles, right? How to pronounce these things. Another thing fascinated me was the enemy within, but it's really not the enemy within in my estimation. Uh, and then his whole thing about the constants are silent in the in the Hebrew, so that carries over to the English. That kind of caught me off guard a little bit, but you can determine that. But then it's this discussion about Satan, which raises serious theological issues. And I'm not saying he's wrong. I'm not saying he's right. I'm leaving that for you to work on, right? I'm I'm just playing, I hate to say it the devil's advocate, I'm asking the questions because it is imperative. It is essential. If we believe Satan is roaming about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour, we need to know what his abilities are and what they're not. I know he can't be in all places at all times because that would be deity. He's not omnipotent. I know he's not omniscient. He's not, um, okay, he's not not omnipresent. I'll go through all of them. He's not omnipresent. That's what I was first referring to. He's not omnipotent, meaning he's not all-powerful. He's not omniscient, meaning he doesn't know all things. So he can't be, he's not present in all places at all times. He does, he's not all-powerful and he's not all-knowing. So therefore, I already know there's limitations of what Satan can and cannot do. Now you can say, well, Satan has demonic spirits to work. So then, can those demonic spirits then? Does he send out, does he, I and I'm, I'm being somewhat facetious here, somewhat, somewhat sarcastic, but does Satan call a meeting? All right, demons, come here. There's a lot of you. There's only one of me. I'm not all powerful. I can't be in all places at the same time. And I don't know everything, but I do know this. There's Christians out there and got late in. Well, not ladies and gentlemen, demons and demons. Uh, what I need you to do is go forth and we need to cause disruption and we need to cause problems. So when you see a Christian open their Bible, make the phone ring when you see a Christian open their Bible make them fall asleep now can then demons do that and is it is it the situation where the flesh is weak the Holy Spirit's there like I so want to help you but then the demonic spirit can stop the Holy Spirit from helping I I, I don't like we need a clear understanding of it so today the theological, Question of the day is, what can Satan do or not do? Now, I want you to go listen to the rest of this sermon at Anijah, but then here's my challenge for you today. Grab the Sermons 2.0 app and look up sermons about Satan and just try to figure out what pastors say, what's the general consensus of the sermons you listen to, of what they say Satan can do, and what limitations they place upon what is Satan's true ability? Where? What are his limitations? Oh, don't forget—we also need to figure out the blood of Jesus concept as well. Now, what I want you to see is that's a that we only made it a couple of minutes into a sermon. We only made it a couple of minutes and that couple of minutes has provided you and i enough spiritual sustenance that we can literally feed off that throughout the we could spend the we could spend today's thursday we could spend all the way to next thursday just working on some of these questions this gives us plenty to study plenty to think about plenty to work on and now now the key is you're going to get out of it what you put into it And that's the reason so many sermons are lost. If you'll take this stuff that we've just got and go, and it's not about criticizing. It's not about trying to go prove someone right or someone wrong. He just presented us a hypothesis on what he believes Satan can and can't do. He didn't really go on what he can't do. All right. Okay, great. That's a good challenge. Now let's take that hypothesis and we run with it. We've, it's not about him. Now, it's not even about the sermon. It's about this high, spiritual, theological hypothesis. And if we really, 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 really work on it, by the end of the day, we should not only grow in our understanding, but maybe better prepared and how to deal with Satan and better prepared and equipped and how to interpret when things happen. Because if I'm reading my Bible and I fall asleep, do I go, Satan is out or do I go my flesh? And is that my flesh fighting the spirit or is it just my flesh being flesh? All right. I think someone else just downloaded it. Thank you. Thank you. All right. So we've had two. All right. We've got that number up to eight. Please, other people, go find it. Adonijah. It's from the series, The Enemy Within from Calvary Baptist Church. Please download it today. Please download it. Stream it. Listen to all of it. You, you should be able to fast forward through the parts I covered there's still like 40 something minutes left in that uh, the whole the title the sermon is 55 minutes we've made it to about the 40 something minute mark so yeah we, we we didn't even review probably 10 minutes we well I cut out the first two or three minutes so yeah we probably only reviewed like five minutes of audio and we're, we're at uh we're at 65 minutes so there you go there you go all right plenty for you to consider today. So thank you for tuning in. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, we are going to continue to try to figure out the best way to work this a series out. Like I said, it was this didn't wasn't really supposed to be a series. It was supposed to be, guys, here's what I want you to do for 2024. Go work on it. Here's the Sermons 2.0 app. Here's what I want you to do. And then just kind of move on. But I also know if I do that, there's a high probability people won't participate. So by doing this, maybe I can increase the participation so that by the end of 2024, we all, and I'm I'm helping myself because if I have to talk about it in front of the microphone, then I've got to go listen to something, right? So it benefits me as well. All right, nobody else has downloaded it. Come on, guys, go download it, all right? there you go I would love to get your feedback on all of this email me news at yahoo.com that's news at yahoo.com everyone have a wonderful day I think I hear the stove beeping I think my food is ready I think my food is ready i think I think I hear it I think so I can smell it I can smell it but i i I think the timer is beeping so i I got to go or I'll burn the house down and Then that will burn down the studio, and then that'd be the end of the Theology Central podcast. And I know you would be so very sad about that, right? Okay, I'm joking. All right, everyone have a great day. Hey, go listen to the sermon. Go. Hey, nobody else has downloaded it. What if is—download the sermon, ladies and gentlemen. All right, everyone have a great day. I'd love to get your thoughts on what I have presented. God bless.